Thanks for joining us for the Fight for Your Marriage podcast with Charlene Steinkamp. This is a place where you can find hope for your marriage through Jesus Christ. Hey, it's Lori. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Fight for Your Marriage podcast. Today, we are going to sit here and have a discussion about something that you have probably felt at some point in your life, and that is shame. We've all felt shame, and especially our spouses who have walked away from their marriages. I know it probably seems like your spouse doesn't feel shameful, and their behavior may look like they're having a great time and shame is the last thing from their mind. But we're going to talk today about how often prodigals do actually feel shame and how to kind of walk through the journey when you're getting frustrated and you're feeling defeated because your spouse seems to have one foot in two different worlds. Do you want to define shame for us? One dictionary says, Feeling humiliation is caused by wrong or foolish behavior that really describes our spouses, our teenagers, our young adults that have gone on a detour road away from the word and away from God's perfect will and way for their hearts and lives and for salvation to come into their lives to be transformed, which is so important. Right. One person wrote to us, and we wanted to kind of share their question today, but we get different variations of this question each and every day. And so I'm sure that it's something that many of you have struggled with and thought about, but um, we just want to kind of use this question as a stepping point for what we're going to talk about today. She writes, I'm really struggling in my stand. I feel my heart becoming hardened and wanting to give up. We had a huge breakthrough. He told me he wished he never left, but he doesn't feel worthy of me, and now he feels trapped with the other person. He says he knows what to do, yet does nothing. Instead, since that conversation, he has been so distant and cold. How do I continue standing? Why do they continue to not seek help when they are hurting? It seems so logical, like your spouse comes to you and says, I feel such regret over my behavior. And you would think the logical thing to do would be to come home or to change their behavior that they feel regret over. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And I think they feel so much guilt and shame that they constantly and the enemy keeps shooting fiery darts at them with that guilt and shame to keep them overwhelmed and do not take the road of seeking the Lord, opening up the word of God, crying out to the Lord and repenting. And repentance is the key. What I would suggest you and all of us to pray daily for all the spouses, regardless of the age or the relationship you have with them, is to pray for their repentance that they will turn to the Lord and ask the Lord to help them to be able to empower them to do anything that the Lord is opening the door for, because he will empower us uh, to standing. In the Bible, we see the first place that it talks about shame is in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God 
as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That was the first time in the Bible that we see Adam and Eve had shame over their nakedness, and shame still is a problem for believers today. Without a doubt. Lori, let me share a scripture. In Romans chapter 8, it says, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That's a great verse. And we know that there's no condemnation because we're in Christ. But your spouse may not be a believer. Your spouse may not have found a personal relationship with the Lord. And that can be a frustrating place to try to understand how to live with their shame and how to help them through the shame they're feeling. Did dad ever feel shame when you were apart for the things that he was doing or for leaving or for any of the um, time that you were apart during those two and a half years? Bob called me very frequently um, and talked to me after the children had gotten in bed and used the call to say he was checking on the children but not talking to them. He was always very blunt and honest to what he was doing and what he was thinking. I was his sounding board, and he felt freedom in sharing any and all things that may be very unusual for most uh, spouses that are apart, but sometimes you are their best friend still. And by any and all things, you mean any and all sinful behaviors that he was entangled in. Correct. And um, and I just would hang up and I would literally cry in, in desperation and cry out in grief. But I would cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, he's being honest. He's very forthcoming. So he's opening up the truth to me. So I feel the Lord was showing me the truth, how to pray against it. I think that is very important, any and all things. And you can just imagine or know what your spouse is doing if you have contact with them, then you can pray against what they're being tempted by. Do you think he was telling you to try to gloat over what he was doing? Or do you think he was telling you as a secret cry for help because he felt shame over what he was doing? I think he talked to me to make him feel like he was a macho man and that he was just had freedom to do anything. Women were attracted to him, and so he felt ego with that, but he felt so much shame and guilt from the power of the Holy Spirit that he still never found the word peace, and he also felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even though he would not address it or uh, admit it. That's something huge to hear because when he was in the middle of this, he acted as if his life was so much better now that he was divorced. Positively. He acted as if he had the better job. He had an apartment he could finally keep tidy on his own. He could make the meals he wanted to make. He could do what he wanted 
And so from the outside looking in, it could be defeating because you're thinking, well, he's happy and he's moved on. Why am I waiting? But on the inside, he was still struggling with shame and struggling with peace, like you said. And I think when you see from the outside looking into what your spouse is doing, this may uh, get you to have anger or bitterness or, or rage or have the enemy push your buttons. Even jealousy because you feel like they're giving attention and time to somebody else. Positively jealousy. And so all of these emotions come against you. But you have to stop and take control of those thoughts that are not Christ-like and say, Lord, why are you allowing me to see and know what's going on? So show me how you want me to pray for them. Right. It's a good way to pray specifically. Exactly. And when I talked to Bob, he was trying to paint the picture is that he was successful and accomplished and doing well. But in the same point, he also knew that he was leaving three children and not being the father that he used to be and have the relationship with his, even his parents as he should. My dad understood so much the shame that he felt as a prodigal that after his return home and as the ministry um, began to progress and he talked to other prodigals, he wrote a book about it called Finding the Way Home that we have in our bookstore. And it's Subtitle is a book not about prodigal spouses, but for prodigals. And in this book, he really outlines some of the feelings that he had as a prodigal, the feelings of shame, the feelings of joy, because for a season, his sin was fun. Sin is fun for a season. The Bible tells us that. And he was feeling like a free man. But deep down, when he would lay his head on the pillow at night, many nights he struggled with peace because he had so much shame over what he was doing. I just want to read a little excerpt out of this book. The setting was the rural town of Okeechobee, Florida. Population 2,000 people and 4,000 cows, where I'd moved after our divorce in my attempt to run from the love of both my God and my wife. The place was westbound Highway 70, directly in front of the W&W Farm Supply Store. The time was a Saturday afternoon. Charlene had brought the kids up, and for some reason, she and I were alone in my old blue Plymouth. I praise God that by that time, even though I sensed no love for Charlene, I did enjoy her company. There was just something different about her, and I could not explain. Later, I learned that it was the Holy Spirit guiding and directing her. By that point, the other woman and I were discussing a wedding. She lived 100 miles away, and there wasn't really much to do in Cowtown. There were some casual other women also in the picture. I will never forget Charlene's words or what we were talking about when she said them. I read something that might help you. I don't recall if my wife pulled it out of a book or a paper, but she read a couple of short paragraphs that made it seem like a weight had been lifted from me. Neither of us had ever been able to remember whose words she was reading, but it was someone we both respected. For a period, she began to read, the spouse might live with one foot in each of two worlds. I cannot quote the rest of what was read, but this respected writer was affirming that what I was feeling was totally normal. Here I was talking marriage to one woman and enjoying the company of my wife with other women in the wings of this soap opera. 
Charlene read a couple short paragraphs to me, but all I really heard was two things. The first sentence and my wife saying, I understand. So that's when you went home, right? No, that's actually shortly before I packed up and moved 45 minutes in yet another direction, attempting to escape the unconditional love of my creator God, as well as the unconditional love of my covenant wife. Looking back, that Saturday afternoon was one of the many times when I knew what God wanted me to do. I should have gone home that weekend, but by then I was quite proficient at saying no to the Lord. You used your wife for a doormat. How could you? Actually, there was nothing different about my wife or what I was doing than what had been happening for a few months. If you call Charlene a doormat, then you're also calling Jesus a doormat. He loved me despite my sin, and he loves you today just as you are. It's so comforting for a prodigal to hear their spouse say, I understand what you're going through, and I'm willing to pray and wait for you because Jesus did that for me. I choose to love you like Jesus loves me. Lori, I remember that day in the car as if it was yesterday. I had butterflies in my stomach and praying all the time to say, Lord, what you want me to say, what you want me to do, please guide me, please direct me, please keep my mouth shut not to say anything wrong. Every time that we met or talked, I constantly was praying for the Lord to direct every word I say. And Bob would be so kind to me and to the children that I could think it's so easy for him just to come home if if he would just flee from the enemy's temptations. That's that double-mindedness. That double-mindedness. Bob should be on the cover of double-mindedness because he carried and and did it so well. He was so deceived by the enemy's tricks and schemes to have him blinded to the, the truth that he went to Bible college and knew the word, and he just was battling obedience to the Lord and fleeing from the enemies and the temptations of the world. And once he opened the door to it, he could not seem to shut the door and run the opposite direction. It had him um, bound into the sinful lifestyle of fun and games, not realizing the severe consequences he would face someday. If you do not have Finding the Way Home, that is one of Bob's last books that he wrote. Even though it's for your spouse, it is for you first to understand what Bob is saying about being a prodigal. And the more you understand what Bob and the prodigal's spouses are thinking, it's going to help you be able to stand strong and firm in the Lord knowing that he is in control of everything. Let me read in Romans 7, a scripture God gave me so many years ago about Bob, verse 15. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. 
Verse 20 continues, Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Oh, Lori, I can remember crying out and saying, Lord, I don't understand why Bob is like a, um, a tug of war. One minute he's coming closer to us and to our family, and then the next week he's run further away from us or moved away further uh, in where he lived. He, he was constantly in such turmoil, turmoil that I could see because of his uh, frequent conversations regarding the children. But I'm sure you can see it in many other ways in your spouse's life. I want to tell you, I cried out and I said, Lord, I need a word. I need an understanding of how Bob could be living such a double life. And I really was pleading to the Lord to give me a word of describing Bob. And I can remember opening up my Bible and was studying it one special day. In fact, I know it was a weekend because when I did not have the children on the weekends or they were away with him in the daytime on weekends, this is when I really made a, a sabbatical for me and the Lord to spend time. I didn't do any hot, big house cleaning. I did soul searching and seeking the Lord and doing uh, a sabbatical with the Lord. And it was so special so many times. And Romans 7 came to me and I can tell you this was like manna to my uh, body. I celebrated after I read it because it was literally saying it's the sinful nature. It is that sin that is living in his life that he's a slave to right now. But there's freedom in Jesus Christ. And I knew that I knew that the power of the Holy Spirit and knew the power of the Word and all that Bob had hidden deep in his heart and life could be uh, the Holy Spirit can uh, woo them. And even if your spouse is not saved, this is why we so strongly say pray for the salvation of all your family and lost loved ones, friends, neighbors, because salvation is so imperative, so important for our loved ones and friends to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Right. In Colossians 3, it talks about living as um, people who are forgiving of each other. And verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds all of them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And that's what you need to do is as a believer, whether your spouse has a personal relationship with Christ or not, 
when they are coming around you and living with one foot in each world or they're coming around you and they're speaking double-minded things, you can love them the way Christ has loved you and ask the Lord to give you the strength and the endurance that you need for those days where you're going to get a phone call with details of a date or maybe you don't get a phone call and maybe there's just silence and through that silence you can see the double-mindedness that's happening and so often maybe a friend will tell you or somebody will say i saw bob at so and so or i saw bob here or there and he looked great and he was with somebody and and giving all these different scenarios um do not get angry when they tell you or saying i don't need to know about that because that is just another nugget of gold from the lord for you how to pray and use those as um, giving you reasons and more inf- information regarding um, how to pray for your spouse wherever they may be. Right. And the double-mindedness can happen even after restoration. Um, the shame, the shame for things that have happened while you were apart. When restoration happens, it there's not just some magical lights that go on and everything is perfect and you move forward together as a couple once restoration has happened now you have to move forward and heal from the things that happened while you were apart the things that were said while you were apart the feelings that were hurt while you were apart the behaviors that happened that might mean that you're moving forward in restoration now with a child that your spouse may have parented with another person Whatever the situation is, we know that nothing is too big for God to handle. And so when it feels overwhelming, like this one person who wrote and just said, I can't do it anymore. Why do I keep standing? Why do I go through this? When he's going back and forth with his emotions, the Lord will carry you through that. And it's not about your ability to pray enough prayers or to say the magical words. It's not that. It's about truly putting your trust in Jesus Christ for tomorrow. If you've gone through hard things in your life and look back on them, I'm sure that you can see that those were many of the times that the Lord did the most growing and the most pruning in your life. And so when you're going through these, it is a daily time to be with the Lord and to spend time with him saying, Lord, I I need you more today because this is hurting so much. And I think that's one of the great things that comes out of standing for a marriage restoration is the constant reminder of our dependence on Christ. We understand the hurt that happens day after day because of the rejection that you're feeling from your spouse. When you go each day and there's not a phone call, that takes a piece of you away because it, it the rejection hurts your heart. Or when you see a social media post and see that your spouse is out with somebody else, that hurts. And whether your spouse is expressing their shame to you directly or not, don't feel like it's something that's not happening. There may be a day where your spouse comes to you and repents and shares the shame they feel. Or there may be a day your spouse comes to you not repentant, but like my dad did, just sharing the details of what was happening and 
his phone call to share the details of the sin he was involved in didn't seem like a repentant phone call. It seemed like what you said earlier, he was bragging. But deep down, you knew that it was shame talking. Correct. You knew that he knew he wasn't living the right way. And for him to speak it. Right. It's like confessing and and not having that all on on him. The one thing he kept saying to me, stop praying for me. He felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he knocked on that door the day he returned. I got in that car, and he was mad. He says, I came down to have you stop praying for me. Right. And so... And that's his shame, because he felt such shame for what he had done, the behavior he had. He could not reconcile in his mind how you could be willing to take him back. And prodigals will deal with that. They don't understand how you could be so forgiving. And your prodigal may have said that to you, or they may not have ever said that to you. But it's something that they grapple with. Well, she must be a super saint, or he must be some sort of angel that he would want me back after I've run off with another man. And prodigals worry about that and think about that. And that is just you showing what we just read from Colossians, that unconditional love of Jesus. He's the only person who can give you power to love a fallen sinner. I mean, when you get married, it's two sinners that entered into a covenant and said, we're going to be together for better or for worse. And when one of those people decides that they want out, the other one has a decision to make. Either you're in it or you're going to, your word is no good, just like theirs was no good. And that is a lot to carry for a person who was the one who walked away. I think when he came home that day uh, into the car to the doctor's office, he had so much shame and guilt that day that he was trying to say to me, okay, I have a solution. I'm going to get you a, um, a license to marry you. Even though he was planning a wedding with the other woman, I just sat there and zipped my lips. And he says, but I just want to put this uh, license in your Bible and say, someday, maybe someday I will come home. But I'm not coming home now. But I want you to stop praying for me. Because he felt such conviction of the Holy Spirit wooing him and telling him, to flee from his own Christ-like lifestyle. And your Lord is speaking to your husband or wife the same way. That reminds me of another section of the book, Finding the Way Home. So let me find it, and I can read that section to you. He starts, looking back, I can see scores of times when I blame Charlene for what was being done by God. Have you ever had your spouse do that? I'm sure you probably have. It's difficult to comprehend that the God who created everything was so concerned about my marriage that he moved circumstances. Likewise, he's so concerned about your marriage that he is at work to bring about restoration. Going back to that fateful day, I did take Charlene to the courthouse and we did get a marriage license for the future. Please understand that I still had no intent of ever coming home. 
but my inner torment had become so acute that I was attempting to make a deal with God over this license. But those deals just do not work out. The Bible's full of stories of men and women who attempted to deal with God, but his way won in every situation. When we left the courthouse, Charlene was beaming, but I felt sick. What had I done? Not only did my inner conflict continue, but now I'd given Charlene false hope by my offering to get a marriage license. God had guided my steps for many years, but there have been a handful of times in my life when God spoke so clearly to me, there was no mistaking who was talking. One was that Tuesday afternoon sitting in a restaurant on Las Olas Boulevard across the table from my wife. Charlene and I were at two opposites at that moment. She was beaming with a marriage license in hand. I had the same old torment digging deep inside me. I can say without reservation that God spoke to me at that moment. You have made the biggest mistake of your life by getting a divorce. Remarry your wife today. I proposed and my wife became almost giddy. She ran to a payphone to call the church secretary. Two of our three children were summoned to the church office. And by 2 p.m., the same pastor who had told Charlene that she had, quote, grounds for divorce, remarried us. My wife left for lunch a divorcee by the world's standards and came back a happily married woman. The peace I'd come to town seeking was found that night, sleeping in my own bed with my wife cuddled up beside me. If there was ever an example of double-mindedness and a person who was dealing with their shame, it was that lunch that day because in your few hours of lunch and then making it to a church that afternoon, he went from, stop praying for me, leave me alone. I love you. Let's get a license. I need to go home. I can't go home. Let's get remarried. I mean, that's a whirlwind. It is a whirlwind of seeing the power of God move on one man who was so being convicted by the Holy Spirit for a season that that day he got in the car and drove 90 miles to surprise me at my office, knowing that I can't take off easily from my office. And I told the doctors, Bob's in town, I have to leave. His goal that day was not to get remarried, though. His goal was to ease the shame that he was feeling, ease the guilt that he had by making a deal with you. He made a deal. He wanted to convict me of letting him go, let him do his thing, and stop praying, and that someday, maybe, we'll get back together again. He left that little... Uh, carrot dangling. <laughs> carrot dangling that I would... Uh, but he wanted me to stop praying for him and doing what I was doing and saying, loving him unconditionally. He felt the Holy Spirit conviction on me of loving him unconditionally and being nice to him and offering him the kids whenever he wanted them and so forth. He felt uh, such conviction. And he had feelings for another person. And it, you can't erase that because your spouse, if they're involved with another person, they probably care deeply for this other person. They probably have a friendship with this other person. They may even feel like they're in love with this other person. And he goes into more detail in that book that we've talked about today, but it does take time and healing to get over 
the life that they are coming out of, just like a person who was a drug addict. If you've never ever known anybody who has dealt with addictions and has God has restored them from addictions, as they're coming out of that, they're there is a life that they have lived in that sin and they have to move forward from that life. And so it seems like standing for marriage restoration is almost preparation for restoration. People kind of get it confused and think, oh, restoration's the finish line. That's actually just the start of the marathon. (laughs) It is truly the beginning of putting all that you have been learning, all of what you have been praying about is putting all of that in the God is saying, okay, now I've taught you. Now you have to live it out. Right. Now you, you practice have to it. love your spouse. Even they're coming home and they were obedient to the Holy Spirit's wooing that day to get walk in the house and repent. But they, they may not even repented. They may have been doing all these things to, uh, to try to make peace with right. God. We, we just heard Greg and Missy's testimony, and they talked about Greg coming home. And when he came home, he didn't come home because he wanted to, because he wanted healing in his marriage. He came home because financially it made more sense than living and paying for two households. There is a process, and there is steps in every step that you're taking and standing and praying for your marriage. It may be several years since your husband or wife has had uh, communication with you. And I know you might be saying, well, this doesn't help me because I'm not in communication with my husband or wife right now. Yes, you need to say to the Lord, open the doors and show me because you could have a phone call or a person pull up in your, your spouse, pull up in the driveway at any time. We're going to share one story coming up in the future about a woman who recently had her marriage restored, and she had a very long period away from her husband, years, many years, and they were divorced, and it looked hopeless. It looked like there was no chance that they would ever have their marriage restored, but she remained faithful to God's call on her life to stay for, pray for restoration. She remained faithful to her vows, and through a series of events that happened with her husband and being diagnosed with a terminal illness, he got saved, and the first thing he did was tell the chaplain in the hospital, I'm going to fix the mistake I made by divorcing my wife, and he remarried his wife, and she was available because she had been faithful in standing and praying and waiting for that day to come. So don't think of this as the end. Think of this as training for restoration and training for how your marriage is going to be different in the future. I believe you're in God's army and he is training you at every interval and every assignment that you learn more to be ready for your husband or wife to come home suddenly or start the knocking at the doors or the phone calls. And we need to continue in your prayer life to continue to say, Lord, soften their hearts and may they be obedient to your will and way in their life. Exactly. And God is faithful. He'll give opportunities for you to see him working and 
it may take a while to see that, but you need to just remain faithful in what you're doing and faithful in praying for your spouse. So don't let the devil defeat you with shame. Don't let the devil tell you that the prodigal who has one foot in two worlds is a prodigal that's no longer worthy of of God's grace and mercy because he is, she is. They're worthy of what the Lord gives us, which is forgiveness. He's given it to each of us. Psalm 103, 11 starts, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And that's what the Lord did for each of us, and that's what he can do for your prodigal spouse as well. Well, I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope this has given you some nuggets of gold where that it is going to encourage you to not be defeated by the circumstances that you often face. Let us pray that your husband or wife will, um, the Holy Spirit will knock down the walls and the lies the enemy is speaking to them of not coming home suddenly and sooner than later. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just praise you and thank you for this conversation that Lori and I have had about shame and about prodigal spouses and what they battle. Lord, Bob wrote books to share to the standards and to the husbands and wives who are waiting to encourage them and to teach them all the things that he did and what happens with that. Lord, we are just blessed to be able to pray for each and every one that has been sent to our website. And Lord, we just ask that they will be encouraged and that they have people or friends that they are having marriage problems, that they will be lighthouses for them and that they will help them to be able to say divorce is not the answer and separation is not the answer, but Jesus is. Lord, we just pray that you would speak to thousands of husbands and wives who are living right now in a sinful relationship, who are living in a non-covenant relationship, and they have um, been disobedient to your will and to your way. Lord, we ask that you would speak to them around the world and that you would uh, tug at their hearts, speak to them Holy Spirit conviction, and that they will start uh, turning to you and to your will and to your way, that they will start hungering and thirst for the word of God, that you will speak to them in dreams and visions. We pray that you would speak to them when they're being tormented by the Holy Spirit conviction, that they will get up and go and see their husbands and wives or children if they've been um, silent for a long season of time. We pray you'll take the mountains of circumstances that many of these dear standers are facing and that you will melt them as wax, as it says in the Bible. Lord, we pray you will increase their faith, their hope and trust in you, that they will pray against the shame and the guilt that may be blocking their spouse to come home. We pray that you would uh, speak to them special scriptures as you gave me in Romans uh, 7 of a description of what Bob was going through and that you would give them scriptures for their spouses or scriptures to pray with their name in it. Lord, we believe that your grace, your mercy, and your uh, 
dying on the cross, you have paid the price for all of us to turn our hearts to you and to have salvation come into our hearts and lives. So we're praying that you would have salvation come to all of these spouses that are are gone for this season and bring them home. And we pray that you would touch their families and their children's lives, that they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a new, more powerful way than ever before. And we believe in miracles, and we believe in marriage restoration, and we pray that other people will believe and get excited about what God is doing in their spouse's life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages.